today's guest, Andrea Lungulescu, principal recruiter from Wayfair and now starting a new role, but we will not announce it yet. When you don't have a structure, you need to put a structure in place, or at least that's what I feel uh, I felt was right to do. I still feel to the day um, and working on building a strategy with the CEO at the time and the CTO exactly doing what you said, prioritizing what is our main focus, what's focus number two and three and why, and how are we going to tackle them? So I was all of a sudden responsible to come up with things I've never done before, right? Build a whole recruitment strategy and then execute it as well, right? Uh, so whatever I was building, I needed to be um, mindful enough. Andrea, be careful what you get yourself into because you will have to then put this in practice. It was absolutely mind-blowing because we have done a lot of employer branding. We have done a lot of um, hiring, a lot of hiring. We built an entire data science team from scratch. We built brand ambassadors from within. We've built sourcing strategies, a ton of things ourselves. Um, and we managed to execute them and actually it, it led to really quite remarkable outcomes in terms of hiring. So then I, I knew I don't want to manage people. I had some freelancers collaborating with me at some point again. Um, then they brought me back into the, let's say, core Zalando. Again, the structure in the talent acquisition department changed. So I ended up being again given to a business domain which needed to grow. So they were a bit, they were looking like, where is a fire there? Okay. Uh, just send Andrea over <laughs> there to it was me really and another colleague she was she's quite similar to me in this regard and we were just being sent in the fiery places to put order in it so Andrea and I talked about career design and also how to break through ceilings because a lot of functions especially in a recruitment function there is a ceiling on the senior function and how to break through it without becoming a leader so even becoming a principal recruiter and doing dealing with outstanding complexity in scopes and also what's the right attitude and the right frameworks um, to be able to go that journey so for every ambitious recruiter that's a must listen episode to you Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Good morning, Andrea. Um, it's nice to see you in this format again because we met so many times now after um, we met at one event. And then at another one, at another one, at a coffee, and then another one <laughs> True. Um, from from Berlin to Amsterdam to everywhere. And now you're sitting in um, Bucharest and I am in Tirol. Okay. So we are never, I mean, we're, we, I think it's the first time we actually meet online, funny enough, for, for, yes. the, for the era that we live in. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in Bucharest, came home for Christmas, you know, I guess you too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to, to see you again and I'm quite hyped. Let's yeah, me too. Um, and today we talk about um, something very exciting. It's about um, career development and overall um, attributes on how to become a better recruiter or to just level up expertise, skill set, whatever it is. Um, so I'm looking forward to dive into that. But before, maybe you can tell us a bit more about yourself and your journey. Sure. Um, I mean, today I'm a, I'm a principal recruiter. This means that 
I do not have the people under my direct leadership. However, I'm at the same level at what you would maybe call senior manager or something like that, just to settle the scene a little bit for individuals who are not familiar with this job, job role. Um, I started my career in recruitment, but I didn't study that, right? No, who does uh, at the end of the day? Uh, I wanted to go into international management, marketing, and then life happened, right? So I ended up in recruitment. I've been doing this for around 13 years now. Started with very specialist engineering, automotive, aerospace, and then shifted when I moved to Berlin because I started in the UK. When I moved to Berlin, I shifted into software engineering. And that's what I've been doing for the past eight years plus with Zalando for a really long time, then with Wayfair for a relatively long time as well. Uh, that's from a professional standpoint, right? On the side, I uh, luckily managed to kick off and found the TA Crunch community in Berlin. This is a talent acquisition community for the Berlin scene. Um, I love it being so active. And we came back to life kind of like after the pandemic, luckily. And on top of that, I'm a human being, right? <laughs> I think um, I'm really proud of having won some innovation awards. Uh, there were both of my companies, but still, it was my mind that w worked into that. Um, quite a creative person, so I paint. And a massive Audi fan for those in the room who are not an Audi fan. Uh, I need to put that out there. Um, Currently, yeah. I'm having an Audi. Last time yeah. when we met, I, I, I had a BMW, yes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, this is breaking my heart. Okay, but I'm happy. Uh -huh. Audi, no. <laughs> Audi all the way. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so you, you had, a, I would say, a, a career that it's very rare still, I would say, because um, what I see in many companies that there is a ceiling for talent acquisition professionals, uh, professionals at a senior level. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, they need to move out into talent acquisition um, to go further and more becoming maybe a business partner because this is seen more strategic and whatsoever. Or they become a lead, a head director, and then a VP, but the VP people. And maybe there is a VP talent acquisition position somewhere for crazy times, but that's not really the regular path. Yeah. So... Um, how do you see the topic of the talent acquisition role facing a ceiling at a senior level? Because you broke through that ceiling and not many people do or did. Yes, uh, there is a, a tiny element of luck in there. You are correct. And that was also my observation as well. When we are talking about the two different career tracks, individual contributor track versus managerial track, which exist in most of the roles we do, regardless, right, if you are in accounting, if you are in marketing, um, even engineering, right, they are a bit separate. In recruitment, um, we miss that. We miss this above senior recruiter level, What what's next? So as you correctly said, either you move into HR business partnering, if you have uh, the empowerment to do so, or shifting into management. And that was exactly my experience. And I fought against it for so long with, uh, with Zalando. That was also one of the reasons why I had to exit the business. The element of luck was that um, this is quite true for Europe. However, with the US, I observed that there are more companies embracing that. And if you look even in um, in London, for example, where there is, it's more prevalent to have companies from Fang, for example, they do have the roles, right? Questionable if they need them or not, because it's a lot driven again from the States. So I was lucky enough that Wayfair is an American company and they have this role available. So I was their only principal recruiter 
in Europe. And I was responsible for Europe and Asia when we opened up the India uh, Tech Development Center. Now, to go through this uh, seeding, I <laughs> I just banged my hang- head against it, to be honest, for a very long time. But it was all about taking a lot of ownership of topics. And I quite blatantly refused to lead people because I believe that for people to become people managers, first of all, they need to want to do it. I did not want to do it. And then I I believe that what if I, I ruin somebody else's career? So I need some training. I would like some empowerment, some help in becoming a good people leader, right? Plus, I really don't want to get away from the operational pieces of my work. I love doing the operational recruitment still uh, while having a lot of, let's say, um, impact on really quite large organizational um, projects or imagine process improvement, development, and so on and so forth. So I just kept on proving the worth of the role where I can partner with the leader, but I don't have to be the leader. They can take care of that, and I can take care of a lot of um, executive topics, strategic topics, really large projects, project management they didn't have time for, right? So that's how kind of like you, you I managed to prove the worth of, of the role. And, and get there. So now I'm advocating for it with a passion. In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. When when you were at Zalando, I can see it on your LinkedIn, you already um, started as a lead recruiter and yeah. did a lot of executive searches. And then you um, stayed there for six years, which is also a reasonable time. And also a time when Zalando really grew, right? So oh, that yeah. was also... Um, a, a, a big, big growth stage you you, you did with them. Yeah. Um, how did that environment change shaped your experience? Because I think we all know in the Berlin ecosystem that Salando is and was one of the companies where people liked to hire for or from, especially also in the recruiting space. Mm-hmm because there, there were certain structures and there were a certain number of roles, a variety, what every other business somehow needed as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a company that went from st- startup to being a, a public company um, out of Berlin. So how did this environment at Zalando shaped your experience? And what did you take out of it that you then would be, let's say, ready To, mm-hmm. when, to, to push through that ceiling. Yeah? Yeah. Because maybe a lot of people want, but they just can't. A hundred percent. I love the question and you are so correct. The, when I joined Zalando, literally in my first day, uh, my, my lead was not even there. She was on holiday, but she left me a, a, a note and she said, <clears throat> we need to hire 2,000 engineers uh, in this upcoming year and you're responsible for mobile development across... Um, all of our sites in Europe and front-end development. And for me, it was like, okay, I didn't understand what that means really. So I was like, okay, we'll just do it. <laughs> um, the, the very good experience that I had with Zalando was it was so diverse. So we started having a team structured in a way we had sourcing, we had coordination, we had recruiters, and we all worked together, an employer brand. We all worked together under the same umbrella. Then this changed and we became clustered, right? Uh, a sourcer, a coordinator or multiple, a recruiter working on this domain or that domain. Then we changed again. So we had, we experienced change so often 
Um, but it was really well managed most of the time. So that helped a lot. Now, I think to actually try and answer your question a bit more precisely, the things that I observed were the most impactful for my, first of all, for my own understanding of what I want to do. And second of all, to allow me to test and see if I have the skill set, the capabilities, um, the interest in doing these things. But at one point, Zalando had six startups internally uh, built, right? Which so one? we were testing some of them that I can remember. One of them was connect, connected retail. Um, this was connecting with stores externally, right? So we were allowing stores to sell directly on the Zalando platform. Um, another one was Zalon, which was um, our personal styling kind of. So we had stylists that were working with individuals and so on and so forth. Another one started as a as a startup, which was called Zalando Media Solutions is now, but it was marketing solutions back in the day. This was referring to advertising. I think all the influencer platform from Zalando started from there, right? These are just the three I remember. Then we came with Wardrobe, which later became Zircle. So the... Um, circular fashion, right? Mm. Um, and unfortunately, I can't remember the names of the other two. Oops. Also, maybe Zalando Lounge was also there. <laughs> Lounge, yes, of course. And also the, the, the payments, payments, payment. because I think payment was also an extra. Yes. Right? Yeah, payments started. Yes, you're very correct. However, payments had a bit of a special treatment. It came as a spin-off, but it was treated slightly specialist because they were also based in our out of Dortmund primarily, and Lounge uh, also was not necessarily a startup startup it was quite an entity right so already it started quite big as, as weird as <laughs> I, I i remember when when i did some executive searches back then for a fintech i also had some executives from zalando payments mm -hmm. and then um we talked about this as a separate unit because initially this was not clear to us right and then after some interviews and some meetings um we figured out and in the discussion together saw that actually this business by itself which was just dealing with the whole payment piece of Zalando customers like factoring and so on um, <laughs> it was a unicorn by itself <laughs> yes yeah it was and it's uh, it became better and better and now they have a lot more things even in relation to the way they do supply chain it's it's fabulous right what this company achieved and I think my um, I was always a, a very ownership type of individual right i have one of the strengths is command so i know i see a problem i go at it i come up with some solutions and then i i have no um, I, i'm quite courageous so i don't have much shame if i want to put, propose something i will just go and propose it i mean the worst thing that can happen is that people say no right but if i propose it smartly enough or intelligently enough maybe it works so I think this was one of the things that helped. But then with the startups, they needed someone who is a bit of a maverick, who is uh, <laughs> would consider going and hiring for all the startups at once. And they took me out, uh, proposed this to me, and they took me out. And I was like, sure. I, yeah, just like the 2000 engineers, I didn't really understand how much that is. I was like, sure. So I went and I started working with the startups. And all of a sudden, I had... Um, 600 people that I was working with as the sole recruiter and the 600 people were One here. moment. You had 600 hiring managers or six? Mm -mm. They were together a, a unit 600. Of, okay. Mm -hmm. And how many hiring managers? Countless. I honestly will never be able to remember because I was doing both commercial and tech. 
Oh, crazy, yeah. So I went And there. how do they, how do they, <laughs> yeah. now the questions are coming in. Yeah, how do they talk to each other um, that you know um, the priorities? Because, you know, what usually happens when um, you're hiring or overall a talent acquisition department is hiring for several units. Yeah. Everybody's just considering their own bubble of priorities. And then you're always oversubscribed and um, yeah. everybody's chasing you. It's it's urgent, yeah. it's urgent, it's urgent. Um, but if, if three or two parties it say that, exactly like um, that, okay, what is more urgent, right? So I don't know actually if the, can, can you, you as a talent acquisition I function are not able to really prioritize um, without them involving them because they should actually talk to each other and prioritize and sign off overall derived from the business strategy. So usually you as a talent acquisition professional cannot prioritize for two, two or three different parties because this should be an overall authority or a strategy to derive the um, priorities from, right? So how did you handle prioritization? Yeah, um, I didn't. That's the, the very short answer. But what I did was, okay, I, I went there and I had, I remember I started with three of the startups and I, I went and I was like, okay, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And they started coming, right? Because they needed to, you know, start up, right? They want everything today and like, let's grow and let's do. And it was beautiful in a way. So what I did, I tried to just put everything down on paper and then look at it. And then I realized very soon, yeah, this is never going to work. I'm just one human being. And with all my best intentions, I can't help them all out. So I put all of this down on paper and then I went back to my business, to my domain, right? To, my, to the leaders and so on. And I was like, um, yeah, I don't know how you propose that we handle this, but one human being is not su sufficient. So we got uh, some freelancers coming in. The prioritization actually never really happened like that, right? When we looked at the, the information that I was provided with, it, was a, it felt like it's a bit who streams the loudest. And I think it actually was a bit like that, right? So one of the business unit has more let's say um, had, had more of a financial impact on the overall Zalando bottom line and I think they were being given priority uh, from a hiring perspective and then the rest was a bit like who screams the loudest in a way which wasn't mm. a great right uh, it's been a long time since I think a lot of things it's happening but it's not a good strategy exactly uh, uh, that's Precisely correct. I think it was just we were still trying to get uh, our footing in. And it was still, I wouldn't say early days, but Zalando was still in the hyper growth mode at the time. Um, what ended up happening, we brought some freelancers in. We got some other recruiters from the other business units to collaborate with me on some things. And then we were pushing things out. So you take care of that, you take care of that. And at some point for some of the business units, I ended up being the glue. So a bit of a project manager. I still don't want to think I was a lead of anyone but because I wasn't managing them, but I was trying to manage the operational pieces of it. Until at some point we made the decision that there was one specific business unit and that was Zalon, which really needed to ramp up. Uh, they needed a full new department, which was data science. They needed to completely shuffle internally the resources and focus on both commercial and uh, tech. And they took me and put me just there. So it was, I think, the first time when I had a full-blown business unit on my own. So I was the one person doing talent acquisition for Zalon. And this is probably the moment where I realized I love this. I really love this because I was very close with the CEO, very close with all the heads and VPs and so on and so forth. And we were building everything together. Like there was a lot of autonomy. There was a lot of back and forth and idea sharing. And this was extremely helpful to realize like, okay, 
this is the path I really should be going on later on. And it also helped me a lot. Again, your original question was in relation to, um, let's say, the capabilities, the skills. How did I get into that or how does this further develop, right? Um, when you don't have a structure, you need to put a structure in place, or at least that's what I feel uh, I felt was right to do. I still feel to today. Um, and working on building a strategy with the CEO at the time and the CTO, exactly doing what you said, prioritizing what is our main focus, what's focus number two and three and why, and how are we going to tackle them? So I was all of a sudden responsible to come up with things I've never done before, right? Build a whole recruitment strategy and then execute it as well, right? Uh, so whatever I was building, I needed to be um, mindful enough. Andrea, be careful what you get yourself into because you will have to then put this in practice. It was absolutely mind-blowing because we have done a lot of employer branding. We have done a lot of um, hiring, a lot of hiring. We built an entire data science team from scratch. We built brand ambassadors from within. We've built sourcing strategies, a ton of things ourselves. Um, and we managed to execute them, and actually, it it led to really quite remarkable outcomes in terms of hiring. So then I I knew I don't want to manage people. I had some freelancers collaborating with me at some point again. Um, then they brought me back into the let's say core Zalando. Again, the structure in the talent acquisition department changed, so I ended up being again given to a business domain which needed to grow so they were a bit they were looking like where is a fire there okay uh, just send andrea over <laughs> there to it was me really and another colleague she was she's quite similar to me in this regard and we were just being sent in the fiery places to put order in it um this organization was was called merchant operations at the time and I think there I had the most success in building literally everything from scratch um, with with them. And it is within an organization, so you you can't really do whatever comes to your mind. So you still have yeah, to Andrea, I think this is something what you just said um, to summarize. Yeah, First of all, you need to have the account accountability and ownership, as you just described, yeah. to just do what is not asked to be done. But when you just sit down on a blank piece of paper, thick a bit, and intuitively also um, structure the information in a way that it makes sense for the problem to be solved and the outcome to be achieved. Mm -hmm. This is the ownership needed, but also the methodological approach um, to be capable of doing it. So that's also important in my opinion. So a lot of analytical thinking um, needs to be there as well. And I think then when delivering it, you also need to have a certain level of operational excellence or um, bias to action, but not getting caught into doing activities and being on the phone or reaching out to people just for the sake of achieving numbers. Also thinking, is it the right way and the right qualitative approach to do so? And then finding the balance between what is doable, what is necessary, where I might be at risk of people dropping off or expectations not set and then anticipating instead of um, afterwards when things break come back and need to build up activities again this is what a lot of people do wrong and then the pressure is even higher and it's even more uncomfortable instead of thinking up front and anticipating mm -hmm. um, with a sense of urgency so 
let's dive into your career framework because I saw um, your career frameworks. We also have a career framework and there is a, a big overlap. So I want to hear from you now what you think are the attributes a principal recruiter or a recruiter above or beyond senior mm -hmm. should really be outstanding in to break through that ceiling what we discussed. Yeah. Um, everything you mentioned, but I will come back to some of them. I would start, however, with um, influencing skills because remember, we are both operational and multipliers and influencing skills are absolutely essential. And this you kind of gain first from learning how to negotiate offers, which are a bit more complex, a bit more complicated. At least it's helped me a lot. And then learning how to deal with different kinds of individuals. Definitely one thing that I, I, I'm still learning and I learned maybe too late, um, emotional intelligence comes in play here and it plays a huge role. So being an emotionally intelligent individual, meaning that you have self-awareness, that you can read a room, that you can read other individuals, um, that you understand social settings and so on and so forth, this helps a lot in influencing others, right? And knowing how to do so. Uh, then in strong relationship with this one is understanding what data to look at and how to look at it and how to present it back so that it, you get out of it what needs to be really um, used later on. Because a lot of people, yeah, everybody talks about data, but how, what, what data and how are we looking at it? So learning how to storytell, learning how to draw, and now I'm coming back to what you said, uh, understanding risk. But not only understanding risk, but being able to say, this is what we are headed if we are headed in this direction. These are the risks that we we might encounter. At the same time, these are the mitigations we can put in place. So risk, potential solution. So this is maybe the second um, or the third thing that I would mention is a problem-solving mindset. If you observe a problem, then it's not sufficient to highlight the problem, but you have to come up with solutions for how to actually solve that problem. And a lot of people, sadly, I notice that they stop at shouting, we have a problem. Fantastic. Good. Uh, yes, we know. <laughs> Let's do something about it. So coming up with a plan or proactively, right, approaching, this is the problem we have. These are the five solutions I see possible. Let's discuss. Um, it needs, this comes from within. It's, it, it comes from a, a little bit of personality as well, which cannot, can be taught a bit more difficult um, another thing is they would they need to understand that their work needs to impact at scale. It's not sufficient that your work impacts a small, tiny division or a small, tiny team. Your work, your projects, your activities need to go at scale. If the scale is horizontal, meaning that you work with a number of business domains in your organization, um, if it is or the projects you work on um, are having implications, right? That's also a hundred percent. If it's going vertical and you go all the way to sea level and you are an absolute specialist in in one thing, that's also another scale we can look at. And most importantly, it needs to have a true impact on your talent acquisition domain. So your work needs to reflect in making the the work of the those around you easier faster, so more efficient, more optimized. Um, and you need to be very mindful of that. You're not a lone wolf. You're a multiplier. And it needs to really, your, the results of your work need to really be 
um, let's say, advocated for, and you need to advocate them for them a lot of the time, and implemented across. So you're, um, you mentioned operational excellence, right? Imagine that you need to kind of become that person that people look at for operational excellence when it comes to talent acquisition matters, which are not related to performance management or people leadership, but everything else. We struggle with a sourcing strategy for diversity and inclusion. Who do we go to? Probably your principal, right? Um, or at least we want to develop a big diversity and inclusion sourcing strategy. We should involve them in, in developing this. I'm not sure if you want to delve any further into this or if this no, is... That, that, that's totally um, what I wanted to hear. And I also can confirm that because um, I had a similar situation. Um, I started um, people-wise and in the beginning it was a one-man show where I just um, did freelancing through a brand <laughs> and um, then built up some people. But I was also thrown in to fires that burned, especially at tier when I think there was uh, more than 200 million funding um, and they needed to expand. And I think when I was there, we started growing from 800 or 600 to at some point peak with all the blue collar workers, it was around 2.8, 3000 people. Mm. And um, I was actually just leading teams of five before and I was 25. And then I just had this approach, as you mentioned, understanding the problem, sitting down, structuring information, anticipating proactively without being asked, looking into problems where I knew, okay, there would be a solution necessary, but nobody sees it. I just propose it. And I don't even say that I should do it. I just think that something in this direction needs to happen. What happened naturally, it, it went through the business and executives said, aha, yeah, we need somebody to do that. So who said that? Okay, it was Thomas. Okay, then put him there. Let him do it. Suddenly I got a call. Um, so you should run the department now. And suddenly I was 25 leading 30 people. I never had done something like this before. Mm -hmm. So I needed to think. Yeah. And in the beginning it was really intense, but everything that you just mentioned is also what I, what I did and it worked. Yeah. yeah. And you had the people leadership responsibility. And this is something that I pushed away um, at least until now. And I, I do believe that there is this, um, that there is a synergy and there should be a synergy. Look at the engineering job family. In engineering, they are, they most, more often than not, they would have a people leader in some capacity and they are still a technical person and they have a principal or a senior principal or so on and so forth. I'm referring primarily to the more, let's say, to the organizations which grew to a specific size, right? Hello, and Fresh, Wayfair, Salando. Yes, even people, smaller yeah. ones. These are, I mean, 15,000 plus people, right? But even smaller ones, I mean, 2,000 people, 1,000 people, even they have such diversion and, and they are complementing each other uh, because the experience one, one brings is not the experience the other brings, but together... And, and this is, I think, a very good point because I, th I think, especially for engineering, the whole principle piece is really on complex technical pieces. Yeah, yes. But of course, they can train and mentor other people, but more on a functional piece, how I understand it always. And then there is a maybe a director VP, and these are the engineering leaders who get more commercial and um, mm -hmm. need to understand the full business and the organizational piece. But they are then maybe not even good or cannot code anymore or don't want to so they would never be um, a good principal engineer maybe 
or they could not even do it because the level of expertise is not there. But complementary, as he said, it's a very powerful communica- uh, combination because you have this technical piece and yeah. also then um, the, the leadership or the ma- management piece because leadership can be both, but management would be more the organizational piece. Yeah. With I've budget and all the, yeah, <laughs> budget and all the boring stuff. <laughs> and there is another thing. There is also, I think people forget about the human element. We push people into jobs because we have nothing to do with them. And we risk so much. That's my honest opinion. We risk so much of having the jobs of others completely destroyed. And I do have examples from my network where this happened. Just because somebody wants to grow in this title and have this bombastic title associated to them, but they forget the impact they have on other people's lives. And this is um, the human aspect should not be forgotten, right? The do they want to be a people leader? Um, maybe they do, uh, or do they not, right? Definitely. In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And I, I think that's something that we could talk about um, through many examples because I also have so, so many. And I think the takeaway should be for everybody taking full ownership because I think there is also a really good book. The obstacle is the way it's about um, (laughs) independent of the circumstance and situation. You find somehow a solution and something positive in it and you go after it. Yeah. Um, And that's um, called stoicism, I guess. But this is something I think where everybody can train him or herself um, on And this is something, if you want to become an entrepreneur, a director, going beyond the senior regular function, just breaking through any ceilings, this is something in terms of mindset, what is just leveraging um, your way of becoming it. Um, Did you read something like this or is it just your nature? Um, It's it's from a percentage percentage wise, I think it's more my nature. Uh, and I told you that one of uh, my strengths are generally in this uh, influence area and executive area. I didn't even know, right, that they are categorized like that when I started realizing these things. Uh, but I, I laughed when you mentioned the book because uh, I, despite the fact of not having read that book, I have read tons of other books in relation to more or less a similar um, a similar topic. And while I agree with it to some extent, I also believe that some things are intrinsic. So some things I believe can be taught, some maybe not so much, because it also depends on how we are as individuals and whether or not we want to go in that direction. However, if individuals out there listening to us will consider um, a path of a principle in talent acquisition, they have to be fully aware of what this role in entails in this regard as you mentioned being extremely autonomous balancing autonomy with um let's say being mindful of not pushing other people's buttons which i've done a lot and i probably will still do um I, not something that i'm proud of but it, it happens right so you are you have to have a level of autonomy and you have to have, be mindful of the impact of your work because the, that impact can be positive or negative so when you do see problems, when you do want to solve things, the way you go about it needs to be quite mindful, right? Because there are there is a downstream. 
it's not only this problem. This problem might affect a lot of other things around which you may not be aware of. And this is something I would like to call out. Individuals, as they grow in their career towards a principle, your knowledge has to go way beyond your immediate domain. So if you work in tech, you need to make quite sure you understand the business that is related to that tech. It is not sufficient that you just know the tech department because, again, downstream, your actions in the, with the tech department will have repercussions outside of the tech department. So you need to expand your knowledge, right? Um, and some individuals may want to stick to this subject matter expertise. And th- th- therefore, I think a lot of experience, curiosity plus mental models are relevant. And I, mm-hmm. I'm a, a big passion. So I'm re- really passionate about that and a big advocate. Yeah. So I call out some books as well. Number one, Thinking in Systems. Number two, The Art of Clear Thinking. Number three, Mental Models, Volume 1, 2, 3. And these are all books that should be read at some point for people that are that, that want to go into a certain level of dealing with complexity because this just helps being sharp, top of mind and 100%. fast. Oh my God, the models. I have the book with me, but it's hardcover and I hate it because it's heavy. So I traveled with it. Uh, you I, know, I, I have it both. I have it as hardcover and Kindle because I read through it always again. Okay, that's a smart one. I, I didn't. I, I like the touch feeling of, of the book and I will call another book out, which is uh, Words That Change Minds. It is absolutely brilliant. Uh, and yeah, we won't go into name, uh, naming books right now because we will never finish this. But definitely, again, this also comes from curiosity. You can't make people want to read books or w- listen to podcasts if they don't have it intrinsically. But maybe you can inspire them in that direction. Who knows? Yes, um, Andrea, we are at the end. We need to stop now. It was really great talking to you. And um, I'm looking forward to see you again in Berlin. You have such a sharp way of ending things. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Thomas. Good to speak to you as well. And I'm looking forward to the continuation of this.